Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. Yesterday I was on the road for a few hours and I just... uh, Felt like the Lord dropped something in my heart and began to work on that, think on that, work on that a little bit more today. And I'll just ask you to stay with me now. In the 13th chapter of Nehemiah, we're going to begin reading with the first three verses, but we'll just kind of spend most of our time here this evening in this chapter. The Bible says in Nehemiah 13 and 1, on that day, they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people. And therein was found written, that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not with the children of Israel with bread and with water, but, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. And now it came to pass, when they heard the law, that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. I'm just going to, Stop reading there, I guess. I was trying to debate that today. Just can keep reading and reading. But I want to speak tonight from this subject, preserving our heritage. I'm very thankful for what the Lord has blessed me to have, for blessed us to have. And I think then it becomes incumbent upon us to understand the responsibility that we have. That responsibility is not arbitrarily handed to another but it is to us to preserve what God has given us. Amen. God bless you, and you can be seated. Let's just make a a trip here through His Word tonight. If we were to back up just a few chapters, a couple of chapters, to Nehemiah 10, um, we can see in verses 28 and 29, somewhere around there, you can see where the Jews had willingly separated themselves from the people of the land. They understood at least from what we could read there, they understood that they were to be a people separated unto God. And all through Scripture, and I believe that it is relevant today as much as it has ever been, that God's people were always called out. We're the called out ones. Amen. And so in turn, they united themselves with their Jewish brothers and sisters and begin to commit themselves to the law of God and then to walk in the way of the Lord. But apparently, as we begin to delve deeper into the Scripture, that their time of separation or their season of separation was not wholehearted or it was not complete. And so we, we can find this, um, these hills and valleys, these ups and downs all throughout Scripture where people had dedicated them, the people of God dedicated themselves to the Lord. And then somehow or another they found themselves then in error. So we watch this ebb and flow. And often I wonder in Scripture and I wonder even in the day that we're living in, what 
would happen and where would God's church be if people were to just stay focused on the plan of God, the will of God, and that we would never allow anything to happen to separate us from the perfect will of God. I realize that that is very idealistic. That's not my message tonight, but I just can't help but to think about that from time to time. But even though they had committed themselves to the way of God in time, they discovered that the Ammonites and the Moabites um, were in their congregation. Now this was contrary to the law of God or the law of Moses that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Ammon and Moab, uh, if you recall, were born from an incestuous union between Lot and his two daughters. And so there was a mark against them. And uh, their descendants were, because of that, avowed enemies of the Jews. But somehow, as time moves forward, we see that this mixed multitude has infiltrated again. Once again, the people of Israel, despite seasons of their past, of purging. There will be a cleansing and then there will be a mixing again. A cleansing and then a mixing again. And it was this mixed multitude, if I could put it that way, it was this mixed multitude that really and truly gave Moses so much trouble. And um, it, and I believe that as we watch throughout the, the projections of time, that we still see that evident today. It gives the church trouble even today. The mixed multitude that I speak about would, would be the composed of people that are unsaved. And uh, so just stay with me for a moment. I want to make just a few points. But uh, there are people that we have to understand and recognize. This is not to draw any lines or create any cliques. But there are people that want to belong to the church, but they do not want to submit to the will of God. They like what they feel, and they enjoy what they feel, and they want to be a part of it while they're here, while the, while the fire is going, and while the music is going, and, and uh, while the band's playing, so to speak. They want the blessing of God, but they do not want the obligation that comes along with that. I'm not being negative or being cynical, but I have to be honest tonight. That they want those blessings of God without realizing that there is that what brings the blessing of God is the fact that we didn't just think about serving the Lord at 7:30 this afternoon. I've read many times and heard many times, certainly as a minister through the years, that church on Sunday starts on Saturday. You you don't just start getting ready for church Sunday morning when the alarm clock goes off, but something it really, it doesn't, it starts on Saturday, never ends really and truly, but I know what people are saying when they say that or what they mean when they say that. So there, there's this nucleus of people that love what they feel, but their real appetite is still on the things of the world. That's where their real passions are. And the Numbers 22, 23, 24 tells a story about a man named Balaam. And so Nehemiah references this story of Balaam here. And uh, Balaam was nothing more than a hired hand. He was just a hireling. He was a hired prophet that um, was going to try to curse Israel. And if we go back to the book of Numbers and you read that story, it's almost comedic in that every time that Balaam tried to curse God or curse the blessings of God, the Lord would turn that cursing into a blessing. And so the Lord was proving His power, His power, and certainly He was canceling the power of Balaam. But finally, uh, Balaam did 
devised some sort of scheme, if I could put it that way, to defeat Israel. And so his scheme was no longer to try to curse them because his cursings turned to blessing, but he just encouraged the Moabites to invite the Jews to share their, their religious feasts with them, which uh, you would just keep mixing and mingling until after a while we will dilute the purity of what God is trying to do. And so when you begin to mix things of that nature, we can read in Numbers 25 that, that, that in time uh, this led to immorality and this led to idolatry. It always leads to something else. Now, I'm not at all suggesting, and I, I hope that um, I hope time has proven this to be true. I'm not at all suggesting that the church should live in a hole somewhere and just wait for the Lord to come. I'm not suggesting that at all. That we should be isolationist and that we should only stay to ourselves and have no outside influences. That would just be absurd. But we do have to be mindful of what the enemy is trying to work against. And he would love to delude and he would love to chip away at the purity of our heritage. And so we have, as a church, as a body of Christ, we've got to be on guard to protect what God has given us. Balaam knew that human nature would respond to the opportunity to sin. And so in, to the, wedding, the watering down, if you please, of the purity of what the Lord was trying to do. And he knew that this would lead to disobedience. And so as an end result of their sin, God disciplined Israel and some 24,000 people died for the error. Now, this philosophy could seem to be locked into the Old Testament and that this would no longer be relevant for us today, but that is simply not true. I believe the same spirit can take up residence in the church today. This same spirit, this same ideology, this same reach, this same sinister spirit of division can exist in the church and it would just... It would just urge us to follow the philosophy of Balaam or the philosophy of the world, if I could put it maybe uh, in a more relevant term, and do what the world would have us to do rather than what God would have us to do. Through the years, I have, unfortunately, I'm not certainly suggesting this is an epidemic, but I have watched this through the years. I have watched sinners in time begin to have more influence on church people than church people have on sinners. Amen. We're not in the bargaining business. That if I go to church with you on Sunday, will you go to the dance hall with me on Friday? We're not in the bargaining business. And what we have is not for sale. And, and uh, while I truly believe the church today needs to be diligent about reaching the loss, in our efforts to do so, we cannot stray from our tenets of faith. We, we cannot. We have got to stay anchored. I believe that we must reach with relevance. With all of my heart, I believe that. But I believe that, that while we reach with relevance, we must remain distinctly apostolic. That everything about us ought to be distinctly apostolic. That what we are is what we are. We didn't just dress the part. We didn't rent the suit. <laughs> Amen. We are, we are what we are, and you could wake us up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and that's what you would find. You could come in our home at any moment, any day, any time of the day or night, and this is what you would find. The tenets of our faith are not just things we cultivate for a service or for a meeting or just for a, a, a season of being together, but we are what we are. 
And so if we're in Florida, we are what we are in Florida. But if we are find ourselves in California tomorrow afternoon, we are still going to be what we are. Our surroundings may change, but our heart is anchored. We've got to be geared to the times. I understand that. It would be horrible for us not to be able to relate to the world in which we live. But while we must be geared and aware of our times, we have got to be anchored to the rock. The Bible talks about in 1 Chronicles 12 and 32. It's a very, to me, it is a passage of scripture that I can never read or even think about without it pricking my heart because it talks about the sons of Issachar. And I pray often to have the same spirit of the sons of Issachar because the Bible said that they had an understanding of the times. Now that's important for people to have an understanding of the times. I think it's important for people to have understanding of the time. Time is important. Time seems to govern our lives. And so if you're dealing with people that have no understanding of time or appreciation of time, that could be very frustrating, especially if you appreciate time. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about be here at 7.30 sharp or at 10 a.m. on the dot, but we're talking about an understanding of the times, an understanding of the season in which we live. It would be a sad thing to lose touch with the times that we're living in. However, I believe the greater tragedy would be compromising the saving gospel for those that are lost. And so if we understand the times, then we can relate to people more easily. And I believe that we can propagate the gospel, share the gospel more effectively, do it with a greater skill. I've said many, many times through the, through the years that never, ever has the church been uh, more armed. Have we never been more fitted for the battle than we are today? At our fingertips, we have everything that we need to teach home Bible studies, everything that we need to share the gospel with people. Amen. We have everything, all manner of tools at our disposal. And so we are absolutely without excuse if we are not doing our best and giving our all to the kingdom of God. I do not believe that we need to imitate the world in order to be a witness to the world. I believe that we've got to be separate because the world, if they, have, if they can't find anything any different than what they already have, they have no reason to leave the world they're living in to come join our world. They need to know there's something different, not assume there's something different think there's something different. They need to feel there's something fundamentally different about this. Oswald, Oswald Chambers once wrote, he said, today the world has taken so many things out of the church and the church has taken so many things out of the world that it is difficult to know where you are. And there is a lot of truth to that. We may not want to admit that, but there's a lot of truth to that. That uh, someone said the church is getting worldly and the world's getting churchy and, and the line is getting blurred and, and, and we don't know really where it starts and it stops and, and we, can't, we can't afford to live or try to exist in that kind of atmosphere. An elder, an author by the name of Vance Havner, he once was quoted by saying, Today the world has so infiltrated the church that we are more beset by traitors within than foes without. Think about this. He said, Satan is not fighting the church today. He's just joining it. I, I mentioned just a few weeks ago, my wife and I were in South Florida and um, in, in a service, or I was in a service in South Florida. Well, we were, but I was at the other service by myself. I'm sorry to get lost in the details here. <laughs> but uh, 
I was at a service that was right next to a, a, a bar and a, a dance hall. And I mean, there's just Harley Davidson's and there's all these biker guys and gals that are out there. And, and uh, you, you just had to kind of wade through all the smoke, cigarette smoke and other smoke, to trying to get into the church. <laughs> just a fog of all manner of things just to get into the church. When we walked in the church, we had church. Absolute church. The power of God was there. You were there, weren't you? I just thought about that. Amen. You were, you were there. Okay. Amen. We've been a few miles the last few weeks, so just bear with me. And the power of God was so evident and so real. The Spirit of the Lord. And so the effects of sin next door. I'm not talking about down the road, down the way. I'm talking about a shared wall. That had no effect on the church. None. But I would imagine what is affecting that church are things that infiltrate it from within. There's the greater danger. Not the guy on his Harley Davidson with a Budweiser in his hand. That probably poses no threat in many, many ways. But it's somebody with the wrong spirit, somebody with the wrong attitude, somebody with the wrong agenda. Amen. And so today, I'm going to quote it again, the world has so infiltrated the church that we are more beset by traitors within than foes without because Satan is no longer fighting the church. He's just joining the church. And so that's where the church, the people of God, the body of Christ have got to be wise. And we've got to have the spirit of discernment. So as we move down through chapter 13, not only were some of the Jews married to the Ammonites and Moabites, but also... There was an Ammonite that was living inside the temple. Tobiah, the Ammonite, had been given a room in the temple by Elisha, the high priest. And so the enemy is within, not without, the enemy is within. Elisha was one of the first ones named in the list of workers, and yet, and yet he had become a traitor to the will of God. And so we could ask, how can something like this take place? How could this happen? I don't want to lose any of us in the details here tonight, but one of Eliashib's relatives was married to Samballot's daughter, and Samballot and Tobiah were friends. And we think about Samballot and Tobiah are most likely names that would sort of come to the top of our mind. When we think about Nehemiah who was working on the wall, and there was great opposition about working for the work of God. And who was that? That was Samballot and Tobiah and people that were with them. And so they were all part of the faction in Jerusalem, and they were socializing with the enemy. I hope you get where I'm going with this tonight. Amen. They were socializing with the enemy. And so we had to understand that that evil influence from within. This wasn't in the this wasn't the devil in a red suit with horns and a and a pitchfork in his hand. This was an evil voice of influence from within. And so here's what we have to understand, that you can have a family that has been active in the church, a local church, and, and has been instrumental in helping to establish a church, but that is no sign, no matter how much effort they have placed into a local assembly, that is no sign that the following generation is going to be spiritual or that they're even going to remain spiritual. Children and grandchildren can drift from the faith. Unfortunately, people can try to bluff their way just on the coattails perhaps of their ancestors. Parents and grandparents can depart from the faith all in an effort to please their family. Amen. Oh Lord, help us to understand the value of holding on and preserving our heritage. 
Eliashib's relative was privileged to be born into this priestly family, but yet he threw away the future ministry by marrying the wrong woman. Sadly, it seems that Eliashib approved of this. And so now there's an infiltration of sin in the camp, so to speak. But it's important to note that all of this happened while Nehemiah was away. Nehemiah was away from the palace. He was building the wall. And while he was trying to do something powerful and meaningful for the work of the kingdom of God, amen, while he was away, there were others that were infiltrating the palace. And so this suggests that those that he had appointed to lead in his absence had failed in their oversight. I want to say something tonight, that it is not enough that the leadership of a church has a burden for the gospel and has a burden and a passion for the kingdom of God, the word of God. Amen. We've got to have it in our hearts. It can't just be found in the pulpit. It's got to be found in the pew. Amen. It must be found in the pew. So Nehemiah has placed somebody in charge. I'm going to do a great work for God. And he was doing a great work for God. This wasn't a pipe dream. He wasn't going hoping that he could accomplish something. They accomplished the unthinkable in a short amount of time. They completed the wall because the Bible says we the people had a mind to work. But while these people had a mind to work, there were another group of people that should have been minding the palace the word of God, preserving the integrity of God, that were letting the wrong things in. And while they were letting the wrong things in, they allowed the enemy to capture the leadership. And too often the people will find, will blindly follow the leaders down valleys or, or avenues of compromise. Sadly, a few years ago, my wife and I were having dinner with some close friends of ours. We've been friends for many, many years. And they shared about how many years ago we were privy to the big side of this story, but not details of this story, but they were leaders in a, in a rather large apostolic church. And they had been full-time on staff there in that church for many years. And so one Sunday, the pastor of that church got up and announced that he would no longer be preaching holiness. He would no longer be standing for anything by way of separation and things of that nature and uh, I'm sure that came as a shock to some of them. Perhaps it didn't come as a shock to others. I don't think like I don't think those things can can just be born in a vacuum, so to speak. But their testimony of this was so shocking that he said the next Sunday, seven days later, we came to church and he said, I didn't recognize half the people that were there. To the point that they had to get their family and leave because they did not want their family, their children to be exposed to that. That meant they had to sell their home and, and they didn't have a job. That meant many things. All right, so are you with me now? Amen. I, and so here is while, while Nehemiah was over here doing a great work, somebody that was supposed to be guarding the gate said it doesn't matter. And somebody in charge said it doesn't matter. And the people were just following them blindly. And so I say, Lord, help us today. Amen. I want you to pray for me that I would stay focused as a leader, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father. But I'm going to tell you tonight that I think it's also equally important to pray for yourself. Amen. Pray for your own family. Pray for your husband. Pray for your wife. Pray for your children. Amen. That if for some bizarre reason I got up and made that announcement this coming Sunday, that it would not change the fundamental tenets of who this is as a church and what we are as a church. Praise God. 
I hope that makes sense to you. Amen. So here's what must have been evident to me in that story that there were a lot of people that had some things in their head that they didn't have in their heart. And if all it took was for one person to, to go this way and they followed them, then it wasn't in their heart. So looking back in our text, it was bad enough that an Ammonite was living in the temple, but what made it worse was the fact that, that a Jewish priest had let them in. Somebody that was supposed to be guarding the gate and said, not only, you, you just move in, just come on in, everything will be all right. All's well that ends well, but this is not going to end well. We have most all heard of the Great Wall of China. The Great Wall of China, the total length of all of its sections ever built adds up to, to 13,171 miles. Think about that, including the overlapping sections that have been built. These walls, on average, are 33 foot high and 13 to 16 feet wide. It is so massive that the Great Wall of China, uh, if I understand right, is the only man-made structure that can be seen from outer space. So it's an amazing feat of, of man's ability. This wall so massive. And it was built as a mechanism of defense. And uh, so what, what was lacking was not its height. And what was lacking was not its length. And what was lacking was not its width. But the Great Wall of China was breached on many occasions. But every time the Great Wall of China was breached was not because it wasn't tall enough, long enough, or wide enough. It was breached because somebody got paid off at the gate. Amen. Somebody bribed the guard. Somebody bribed the person that should have been standing and guarding them. Can I tell you tonight? Amen. Pray for the ministry all over the world that we would not succumb to those spirits that are in our world today. And then I, I, I hope you hear this as a plea because it is a plea. Amen. Lord, help us to guard the gate with all of our heart. And when the winds of adversity are blowing, help us to realize that I have a responsibility to preserve our heritage. But I'm not in this alone. I've got to have somebody in the pew that's saying, we want to pray and lift your hands to preserve who we are and what we are. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. So this is no different than what we find in our setting tonight. But to make matters worse, this intruder was using a room that had been dedicated to God. It was, it was for the storing of offerings that were used by the Levites. And he had defiled the temple by his presence. And he had robbed the servants of God at the same time. And it was at this point that Nehemiah comes home and he figures out what's going on. And Nehemiah went to work. Nehemiah was a man's man. I'll just tell you. I know we think about Samson and different ones. But he lost no time throwing out the man, his furniture, <laughs> rededicating that room to the Lord. So we're going to clean this place up and we're going to rededicate this to be used for what it was intended for. Jesus would do the same thing later. It appears that, that Nehemiah had done, but this was not an easy thing to do. Because it's not just a challenge to get things right. Can I tell you, it's a challenge to keep things right. Amen. Sadly, there are still people like Elijah that will cooperate with their friends and their family rather than contend for the faith. I don't want friends and family to come along and influence the convictions that God has placed in my heart. Nehemiah... 
13, beginning about verse 23 down into the 30s or 31, speaks about God's people mixing. And back in Nehemiah 10 and 30, the scripture says, we would not give our daughters into the people of the land nor take their daughters for our sons. This was the promise that the Jews had made to the Lord, but they didn't keep this promise. And so while surveying while surveying Jerusalem, Nehemiah, this is what he saw, and this is in Scripture. I'm not reading every Scripture for the sake of time, but Nehemiah saw women from Ashdod, and he saw women from Ammon, and he saw women from Moab who were married to Jewish men. Now, this would be bad enough, but here's, here's where the rubber hits the road. And that's because Nehemiah heard the children speak in foreign languages. Amen. So who's influencing who? Because we're not raising a generation that speak in our language. But Nehemiah heard a generation that was speaking their language. And so here's the piercing question for us this evening. If these children do not know the language of Israel, how are they going to read the law or how are they going to participate in the holy things of God because they don't even speak the same language? And so if a generation was lost of the faith, then what about the future of that nation? Where's this nation going if we got a generation that can't even speak the language? So where, are, where, is, a, where is this nation headed and how far away from the tenets of God will they find themselves if the next generation can't even read the law of God and understand the law of God? And so God's people and the people of the world can be identified, I believe, by their speech. You remember the Old Testament story of, of Shibboleth and, and Sibboleth and, and our speech that gives us away. First John five and or first John four and verse five and six, the Bible says they are of the world, therefore they speak, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He knoweth, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth us not. Therefore, or hereby rather, know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It is all in our speech. That's how we are known in the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, because our speech will give us away. And so when Nehemiah returned to the city, he discovered that the people had failed to keep their promises. And so the Bible says that Nehemiah contended with them. That's kind of a, to say it mildly. Nehemiah contended with them because if you read the scripture, he pulled their hair out. I'm in the book. Amos, I believe it was a minor Old Testament prophet, I think it was Amos that he got so frustrated he pulled his own hair out. But Nehemiah didn't pull his own hair out. He went after them. He contended with them. <laughs> and so he rebuked the leaders for breaking the promises and disobeying the law. And Nehemiah presented God's case and he defended it from the law. And so the, 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 uh, the offenders then had to admit that he was right and that they were wrong and that, that the temple officers had indeed forsaken their, their post. And then he saw to it that the people brought God offerings that, that rightly belonged to him. Nehemiah went about not just saying, we got to fix this. Nehemiah was in the process of fixing it. And when, when God's people start to decline spiritually, one of the very first places it shows up is in their giving. And so Nehemiah says, we got to straighten this up and we got to give back to God what really belongs to God. And because the Bible says in Matthew 6, 21, that where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. 
And so somebody that's happy in the Lord, somebody that's living and they're in right fellowship and relationship with God are going to be generous in their heart. They're not just going to be supporting the church financially. I believe that's an important part of it. But they're going to be generous to others. There's going to be something in their heart. Because giving is not only a thermostat, but giving is a thermometer of the Christian life. It really is. And uh, it measures our spiritual temperature. Someone once asked an elderly pastor, he said, what, were you to, what would you do if you were to assume the pastorate uh, of a dead church? He said, if you just you assume the pastor of a dead church, what would be the first thing you would do to try to resurrect that church? He said, take up a missions offering. Amen. Because that's going to break the back of stingy. That's not going to give to us, it's going to give to others. And we're going to, through that, we understand the value of giving to others is the, is the key to staying alive. And so if, if all we do is receive, then we become reservoirs. And then we become stale and stagnant, polluted. But if we receive and give, we're just channels through which God can move and bless. And so in blessing others, we bless ourselves. Someone wrote that the world is full of two kind of people, and that's givers and takers. They said those, those takers, they really eat well, but the givers, they sleep well. <laughs> Originally, the Jews had promised not to do business with the Gentiles on the Sabbath day. And I'm, I'll ask our musicians to come if you will. They have promised not to do business with the Jews, the Gentiles on the Sabbath day. But Nehemiah found the people not only doing business on the Sabbath day, but they were also doing their daily work and they were even doing unnecessary work. And so the men of Tyre, not to just belabor the, the story, but the men of Tyre, they were coming outside of the wall trying to sell their wares on the Sabbath day and Nehemiah met them. And Nehemiah in plain language told them, you don't need to ever show up here again because if you do, I'm going to meet you. This is not going to be pretty. He was going to contend with them again. <laughs> and so the Bible says that they came back once or so. But he met them. And he stopped everything that was going on. The Jewish merchants didn't want to lose the opportunity to make money and the Gentiles were, were quick to, to cash in on that as well. But I believe the Bible says if we'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, yeah. Yeah. then these things will be added to you. Through the years, I've watched something very consistent. Consistent perhaps as the sunrise or the sunset. And that is this. You can't rob God and profit from it. Because God will get the last word. You may have to work six jobs, but it won't be enough because the Bible says in Amos, you'll be putting your money with bags that has holes in it. It'll never be enough because you can't rob God and profit. It doesn't work that way. There's a scriptural promise that is irrevocable and it says, give and it shall be given. And that's how God works. I'll ask you to stand. So Nehemiah took three steps, three final steps to change this situation. First, the first thing he did was rebuke the Jews for working and buying and selling on the Sabbath and he made them stop, Nehemiah 13, 15. And then he rebuked the nobles for allowing the business to even take place on the Sabbath day, reminding them that the nation's violation of the Sabbath was the very thing that caused their captivity. His third step was a very, very practical one. 
And that's just what Nehemiah did. He said, I'm going to order that the city gates be shut on the Sabbath. And then he said, I'm going to put my own guards at the gates. And I'm going to make sure these gates stay shut. That was Nehemiah's third and final approach. We're going to close the gate and I'll put some of my men there. And they'll keep, and they'll make sure that nobody opens the gates and I'm going to put men there that I know won't take a bribe. But you know, when I think about that, and I don't want to sound any way out of the way, well, I can appreciate Nehemiah taking such measures really and truly, and I'm not at all negating any responsibility of ministry or leaders. But you know, wouldn't it be a sad thing if somebody had to be appointed at our gate to make sure that we do what's right and wrong? I want at some point to just grow up and say, you know what, Lord? When no one's looking, when nobody's watching, I hope there come a time that somebody can say to Nehemiah, you can come get your men. You can come get them because we're going to keep this gate shut. We're going to do what's right. Amen. I believe that we should give everything that we possibly can to the kingdom of God and work as diligently as we can, giving our whole selves to the work in the kingdom of God. Amen. Can we just magnify the Lord together? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.